This is Green Across, a podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Wheat and Kelly McVeigh, now part of the Digitant family of podcasts. How's it going, guys? Hope you're having a wonderful week. Before we get started in the show notes, you can opt into our newsletter, get all of our breaking news, and just catch up more with our guests and photos and details. Uh, details there. We'd love to have you as part of the family. And today, this is Matt Downey. We went to high school together and we follow each other on Facebook. And over time, I just started to see him blogging about his uh, his kid. And uh, I thought I'd invite him on. He is raising a trans kid and navigating everything that comes along with that, including the social stuff, the political stuff, medical, insurance, spiritual and uh, he's navigating it with grace, and uh, it's an amazing story. I love hearing it f- from him firsthand, and uh, yeah, let's dive in. Let's get started. All right, listeners, this is Matt Downey. Actually, we've been bringing a lot of people on from like my high school and college years, but for all for different reasons. Uh I knew Matt because he was in a production of Godspell with my sister, and I ended up choreographing the dance randomly. I do remember that. Wow. Okay. He was a year younger than me, and since then, he's had three kids. He's moved to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just friends on Facebook, and he had been blogging about about his uh, son, Jack. So, Matt, if you would introduce yourself, a little bit about you, a little bit about your family to get started, and I'll just jump in. Me, I'm Matt. Grew up in Central Ohio with Carrie. We both went to Newark Catholic High School. Uh, I come from a large conservative Catholic family. Uh, There are, I'm the oldest of nine brothers and sisters, and uh, initially uh, went into education, uh, spent about 20 years of my life uh, working predominantly in Catholic schools uh, as a coach, teacher, and then school principal after that. Uh, married uh, fairly young uh, in my 20s and uh, had uh, three kids, uh, the oldest of which is Jack. Uh, moved around a little bit, uh, uh, spent a little bit of time in West Virginia, and uh, then moved down to New Orleans. I do have a master's degree from Loyola University down here. And I just fell in love with the city while working on that. And so really enjoyed the opportunity to move down here. And this is where I call home. Oh, that was quite good. It's almost like you have done many podcasts before. (laughs) This is my first podcast, but Lord knows I've done tons of interviews and have had to learn to share my life story. I love it. Okay, so let's talk about Jack. Jack was born, uh, actually is my oldest child, and was born as Lily, assigned female at birth, uh, biologically female. Uh, We chose the name Lily. It is a family name for his mom, and uh, I love the song Lily's Eyes from uh, The Secret Garden, and so that's where we did. Uh, over the next 12 years, Lily grew up like any other kid would. Uh, no major issues, socialized normally, did well in school, and then everything changed. Hit puberty and the secondary sex characteristics started kicking in. The physical development started getting uh, her period, and that is when we saw a significant change in her behavior, became depressed, had a lot of anxiety issues, which by itself, it runs in my family. And then, but that it it progressed to the point where, you know, we got therapy and she began self-harming by cutting uh, and then got to the point of uh, suicidal ideation. When that happened, her mom and I made the decision to go put her put her in the hospital for a week. Uh, We were in a pretty serious uh, psychological and health situation where we needed extra help. The therapist recommended that we do this. It allowed 
a lot of wheels to get turning, both within, frankly, my insurance and also in the medical establishment in New Orleans uh, to get more specialized assistance, which we were looking to get. Uh, Lily spent about a week in the hospital. And when she got out, we were able to get her with a psychiatrist who could start working to prescribe medication and find the right balance for the depression and anxiety to level her out with the whole focus of getting her to not self-harm, not deal with the suicidal ideation. It was also at that point, I'd say within a few weeks, that Lily came to me and said that she believed she was transgender uh, and believed that uh, she was a boy and wanted to explore transitioning that way. The therapist we had at the time could not handle, uh, he didn't have a specialization in that to be able to really give her good therapeutic helps, but he knew a therapist in the New Orleans area who has a lot of experience uh, with adolescents uh, and youth and uh, transgender therapy. And so we switched to uh, that therapist and she began working with us. The initial recommendation was to allow Lily to begin social transitioning. And so Lily chose the pronouns of he, him, and we began to refer to him that way. Explored a little bit on a preferred name, ultimately settling on Jack. At the time, we had him enrolled at a Catholic all-girls school, and that was not going to be a good educational environment for him. The school, due to its Catholic nature and its leadership, was not going to provide us any assistance with the transitioning, wouldn't recognize the pronouns, wouldn't recognize the name, wouldn't modify the dress code. And so we withdrew uh, Jack from that school and enrolled him in the local public school, which wasn't really the best place for him, but it was better than where he was at. And we began, uh, I began the search really at that point for looking for a school in the New Orleans area that could better uh, support Jack and his transitioning. After about six months, the suicidal ideation through the therapy, the transitioning, and the medication did subside. It wasn't pronounced anymore, but Jack was still self-harming. And that's when uh, the therapist had a conversation with me about beginning more of a hormonal transition. Me being that the, the number one area that Jack was experiencing distress uh, or psychological and mental illnesses, gender dysphoria. It was really centered around uh, his monthly periods and secondarily around uh, his physical features. Jack is very feminine looking. And so his mother and I, uh, at that point, we had gone through a divorce, but we were connected with a uh, endocrinologist that focuses on teenagers in the New Orleans area that has a strong national reputation. So we met with her and discussed back and forth the different options. I mean, the, the number one focus we had is to stop suicidal ideation and stop the cutting. We did not want Jack to commit suicide or accidentally cut too deep and kill himself. Oh, my God. It's so scary. Yeah, just a little. Uh, yeah, I mean, do you just kind of compartmentalize to yeah. do to? Yeah, okay. I mean, every parent has, to, I think, sometimes has to compartmentalize a little bit with kids when they come in, especially health or serious issues, because we have two things: uh, we have our own emotions we have to deal with, but we also need to be there for our child. And be the wise one because the kid's looking for us for guidance and leadership. Yeah. And to be steady and not be the scared one because they're scared themselves. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're not really supposed to flip out in front of them. Right. When we spoke earlier, you talked about the dysphoria and also dissociative identity disorder. Yes. That you found out about. Can you define what those things are and then? talk about that in the process? I think the best way to put at it through my experience uh, raising Jack and the research I did as a parent is, you know, 
transgender is just an identity. All right, we all identify with a gender in a variety of different ways, and we tend to try to dress according to that gender. All right, dysphoria occurs for people who are transgender, and it is the best way to say it is their gender causes them psychological distress and illness to the point that they cannot function normally in the world. Now, all of us will have dysphoria, body dysphoria. Uh, I, I wish I had better abs, but I don't. <laughs> okay, uh -huh. but it, it doesn't cause me that type of distress. I just get a little annoyed when I look at myself in the mirror. I put a shirt on, life goes on. Okay, uh, but for a lot of trans people, they putting the shirt on by itself doesn't stop it. And so the gender dysphoria is the mental illness that can be so extreme that they harm themselves, they can't function, and in extreme cases, they do take their lives. And so the purpose of transitioning is to relieve the dysphoria. You start with the social transitioning, name change, pronoun change, let them dress according to the gender they identify with. That can progress like it did with Jack into hormone therapy. So we started with puberty blockers, which sort of froze puberty in time. And for Jack, stopped the periods, which was what was causing the most distress. During that time, we let therapy continue to work, got a second opinion, because my concern, once we went to hormones, more physical, medical treatment, you have more side effects. Okay, certain things may not be able to be reversed down the road. So, you know, I wanted to make sure, you know, there's not an underlying condition that may be disguising itself as transgender. And then the last step, the last treatment for gender dysphoria, it would be uh, gender reassignment surgery. For me, one of the concerns was uh, the most common reason a person who begins to transition and identifies as transgender who will later detransition so they'll go back to the gender identities, the sex assigned at birth and everything and unwind any treatment that they've done is that they're going to have a misdiagnosis for dissociative identity disorder. We knew that when growing up as multiple personality disorder, but they, they've re-identified it. Uh, but it's still the same idea. With transgender people, they themselves identify as somebody of a different gender. Uh, but when you get to dissociative identity disorder, which comes from earlier childhood traumas, there may be multiple personalities that this person develops so they can cope with their life and with their trauma. And some of those personalities may have different genders than who they, than uh, their own personality. And that gender can, that personality of an opposite gender can become dominant and try to force everything. I have no idea if that fully makes sense, but that's... This is just such like a clinic in this. You have gone down the rabbit hole of a lot of research. <laughs> that's uh, what that that's what that sounds like. I, I would say this. Also, putting people in front of me who know more than me and mm -hmm. asking them tough questions. Sure. Not just accepting everything that they say. That's how I learn. Basically, I wanted you to come on here and talk about navigating the parenting of this because I feel like the national conversation about trans kids isn't based in reality. No, not at all. It's just a bunch of talking points and culture war crap. And in the middle of it, families and kids are getting hurt by this. So I think one of the biggest problems is uh, education and ignorance of the topic. I myself, because I haven't gone through it, am ignorant on the topic. So yeah. this is, you know, I don't want to be. I want to be as educated as possible. And that is why, that is why I invited you on here. And you're just such a 
Great guess because you are, you got it. You, you figured it out, you know, and you know how to uh, break it down so that someone like me can understand. So parent navigating this. So what was your biggest fear? Um, kind of keep on talking about that, about the, the hormonal transition. The first thing they do is puberty blockers. That just blocks all any sex hormone from the body. So the person doesn't develop either way. Uh, typically, people who hit younger kids who haven't gone through puberty will go on it just to give them more time to work through their therapy. The problem with hormone therapy or uh, puberty blockers is after about a year, you're risking some permanent bone damage. And so after a year, I had to make a decision. The, the next step, one was to introduce testosterone. The other end was to, because we still needed to keep the periods blocked, was to put them on birth control pills, but that's giving estrogen. And so with testosterone, he'd be able to develop some more masculine secondary sex characteristics, more facial hair, sharper features, fat redistributes areas. The concern, though, is that should Jack decide to detransition and go back to living as a cisgender female and want to have children, uh, there could be fertility issues that arise from that. You have to monitor the development of testosterone levels as they get in the body because you could trigger heart attacks and other type of cardiovascular events that are not intentional. There's a whole bunch of stuff you have to really monitor and take it step by step. I was very blessed to have a very good endocrinologist who understood all of that and was able to tell me, this is what you watch for, this is what we're concerned about, and this is the step-by-step process to get Jack on to testosterone, which really took about a good, good two years a year on puberty blockers, and then two years on testosterone until we were at a normal testosterone testosterone level for Jack. Now, I think the, the question that arises for a lot of people is, you know, like, why go through this transition at all? And I know you said because you were worried that Jack would take his own life. So it's not just that you're being supportive. Right. You are trying to avoid your greatest fear. And I think that other parents in that same situation might act the same. And then secondarily, how does the insurance work when with all this stuff? It's a psychological treatment and a medical treatment. And so different, but like any insurance... Different insurances will respond to it differently. You know, the doctors will try to figure ways to code it to maximize to, to maximize how much insurance pays towards it. Uh, Medicaid pays all of it. Where I, I currently work, they, they're very generous with their insurance. So it was covered. It covered it after the deductible. So the reality is I spent each year, about three quarters of the year, spending about $100 a month on the treatment, including the psychotherapy that went along with it and the monitoring with the testosterone. So there's money out of pocket, a significant amount as a parent that you also have to come up with. I mean, the nuts and bolts of that, you know, like it's not something I ever thought about, but, you know, for a person who just goes to the doctor and has an issue, you know, it's a very obvious thing. Like you go through insurance, you have to get it covered. It can be a huge headache. It can be a huge expense. And do you feel like the insurance companies have caught up to what's going on? No, uh, uh, I, I, they're not built that way. And I think one of the other challenges is the medical community is also trying to figure this out. When you and I were in high school, if we had any transgender classmates, they were in the closet. Oh, yeah. So this wasn't even asked about. Uh, most families would not be in a position to even be able to embrace or accept them. 
And generally, the even when it was brought before a therapist, the advice would be transition at home, but try to live in your gender assigned at birth on a daily basis. But what, what as the research progressed, from what I understand, that wasn't working. Kids were still closeted kids were self-harming. They were dying. They were on drugs. They were on alcohol. They were kicked out of the house. They became homeless, committed suicide. And so that is what started to lead to, okay, let's start exploring transitioning kids responsibly earlier so that they're not living with the gender dysphoria and all of that severe mental illness for a prolonged period of time, putting them more at risk. I think the the challenge that the real challenge, not the stuff that the politicians are talking about, is just just been the last generation that we've just finally decided that it's not good to closet people and risk homelessness, suicide, drug and alcohol abuse, all of that, that we should be trying to alleviate a real disorder, gender dysphoria, at a young age, and transitioning is the best way to do it. We're just still developing a lot of the research. I mean, that if you go online and depend on who you want to listen to, I promise you that we've done a lot more research and know a lot more than those on the right would tell you we know. But there's also stuff that we still need to research more and get to know better, such as, in my case, uh, with Jack, identifying uh, dissociative identity disorder faster and better and equipping gender specialists and therapists with the diagnostic tools to really identify potential dissociative identity disorder and do treatment for that. During Jack's process, after we got the cutting done, he wasn't self-harming, he wasn't suicidal, he was actually functioning like a regular human being in high school. So just being mouthy with his dad and stuff like that. It was at that point that therapy was starting to uncover some underlying traumas that Jack experienced, some of which I knew about, some of which I didn't, and was able to move forward with a dissociative identity disorder diagnosis, which changed the therapeutic treatment. And uh, because of that, and that trying to find a therapist that will focus on dissociative identity disorder and take insurance was virtually impossible. Oh my God, I can't even imagine. Uh, I found one after looking for about six months. It still cost me $150 a month. And after six months, she informed me she was no longer taking insurance and therapy would now go at $600 a month. And that's how many sessions a week, uh, a month? Weekly. Weekly, right. So, I'm sorry, no, no, no. It went from $150 a session, so a week, to $600 a session per week. And she really was spending more than one session. And I I don't make bad money, but I don't make that type of money. I can't do a house payment every week. Wait, back up. $600 an hour? $600 an hour. Like I live in LA, right? (laughs) Like things are expensive. Um, My therapist, I had had her since I was in my late twenties, and and now she's two ninety five an hour or something. Regular therapist, right? So it's not so much of a stretch that a specialist therapist would be six hundred dollars an hour. But then, what kind of families can afford that? That's the problem, right? Oh, yeah. So only wealthy families are able to get the therapy that they need? That's like, whoa. And Jack has serious issues. And uh, the political discourse is, you know, we're doing the wrong things by him, but it's expensive to explore any other options. And so what did you do after that? There are a variety of things. The therapy that we did manage to do and we did find an alternative allowed Jack to come to more grips of understanding his dissociative identities and come to an understanding that instead of being like a trans male 
Jack really, and this is sort of when he first came out, was what I told him I thought he was, is more gender fluid, non-binary, gender queer, some of those terms. And so Jack decided to change the way he was transitioning. He's socially working through his friends. Uh, I still know him as Jack, uh, but I know that he has changed to evade them. Jackie is a name. And uh, they dress however they want to on any given day. Uh, so some days feminine, some days masculine, some days a blend in between of it. And they also made the decision to come off of the testosterone and work through the endocrinologist with that. The endocrinologist did mandate a therapy set with uh, a psychologist at New Orleans Children's Hospital. Uh, which is where this was going at that point. And uh, they did they did two things. They, they found an alternative therapy. And since Jack, by this point, graduated from high school, he's now going to college. Uh, Jack is an adult. We were able to transition Jack into, onto Medicaid, where actually therapy is a lot cheaper and more accessible. And why couldn't you be on it earlier? Because it's not for kids. Uh, yeah, we had to go through the Affordable Care Act exchanges. Oh, thank God for the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. If with Jack as a minor and I am, a, he does not, he would not be able to qualify for the exchanges uh, because he was, is required by law to go through my employer paid health care insurance. You know, the pronouns thing. Yeah. The the conversation happening uh, in, on the political level and the news, it's it's so about it. It's like, OK, pronouns equal the woke left. <laughs> and I experienced this type of thing when, OK, I'm actually Asian-American. I'm not pretend white <laughs> you know like I right I, I went to school at at a place where they're like oh we're just gonna everybody you know like I didn't experience that much racism except for the fact that no one wanted to acknowledge that I wasn't white <laughs> which is not as painful as directly like direct like teasing about it like I only experienced direct teasing about it when I was very young like second grade but as I got into high school you know like luckily I was treated like everyone else but the problem with that is that you don't look like everybody else and you have a different cultural background and there's no acknowledgement of that right so <laughs> I kind of went through this experience of why are we so sensitive about saying Asian American like the names of like African American versus black like you know all of all of that conversation that happened in like the 90s and it was like oh you guys are so sensitive <laughs> you know in your own body when the outside world doesn't recognize your identity it can feel a certain way <laughs> Yeah. It can it can bring a lot of confusion to a young person. And the pronouns thing, you know, the reason that it's important is because there are people in this world that are having this dissociative issue inside of their bodies. It's hurting families. It's hurting kids. And um, it's it's being just tossed around like a weapon. And I think it's important to have these conversations because this is somebody's real life. This is your kid. This is, you know, if people could understand, like, what if it was your kid? What would you do? <laughs> I get told that by a lot of people and, and I shake my head because uh, it's very clear they have no desire to actually understand my life because they tell me what I should do mm. and to what I went through. And yeah, I, and on one level, this has been a, a particular challenge for me because let's just say I fit in really well at Newark Catholic. I am a cisgender white male. 
I don't, yeah, it's, it took a long time for me going through school and interacting with people who are different than me to come to accept that through no fault of my own, this world was ordered to cater to me. And so whatever, I mean, not that I didn't go through challenges in life, but I haven't had to go through half the challenges other people do and trying to become aware of that and empathetic towards that. Uh, that's, it's been a journey. And for, I, I'm very much identify as a male. And so trying to under, I don't have a frame of reference at all for understanding what, what Jackie goes through on a daily basis. It's hard. Uh, it's hard for my family. Uh, some of whom uh, work very well. They do respect uh, Jackie's choice of name and pronouns. Others who don't. Others who can't get over the fact that they knew this cute little blonde hair girl named Lily that was very much a girl when she was young. And they... They can't, they can't cope. And they, they say stuff that they think is loving. It just hurts, uh, hurts, uh, Jackie hurts me. I've had some pretty hateful stuff said to me by, by people who say they love me. So went off on a weird tangent, I get it, but no, it's not a tangent because I, I think it's so central to this conversation. You said at the beginning that you grew up in a very Christian conservative, Catholic conservative, which is a, another step up from Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I should know. I was raised in that Catholic yeah. environment too. Yeah. I would say that environment is maybe the toughest to handle this, this transition. Conservative Catholic, because there's no space for that in the Catholic religion. Right? Is there? Not as the way it is typically practiced. I should say that the master's that I got from Loyola was in religious education. And I have a, a pretty strong graduate level background in theology. And so there is room within the church for anybody in the LGBTQ community and uh, Pope Francis has been trying to inch the church in that direction. It's just, you know, we, we have this situation right now where at least in the United States, Catholicism and religion generally have gotten caught up into political identity and tribalism. And so, yeah, I, I see people focused they, they focus on things that that is absolutely not what we are called to focus on. They don't focus. So you focus on loving the person first. And the idea, it's a term called accompaniment. And that is the best, the best confessors, the best priests, the best ministers, when they see someone who may be having a difficult time in life, maybe struggling with pain, addiction, maybe living a life that at least on the surface, you know, you would say would be sinful based upon traditional church teaching. Instead of doing the judgment, what they do is they shut their own mouth and just walk with the person and listen to them and try to find them where they need to go because there needs to be a recognition that all people are made by God and are called to go back to God. You don't see that often. I think one level for the journey I took when Jack came out to me, when Jackie came out to me was that I was going to commit myself to that concept of accompaniment. I'm, it's my kid. I love them. I can't imagine not loving them. So I'm going to accept where they are and walk with them on their journey. Ask questions. I do. I challenge them. Uh, I have a responsibility to make sure they're not causing more harm than good to themselves. But it's that process to walk with them. 
And I think too much of Christianity and Catholicism in particular has forgotten that. And I can see, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or right, that you are, st- you, you still practice in a strong faith. No, uh, because of the church, the way it is, and I am not able in good conscious conscience to actively practice. Uh, it is an area of pain for me because the spiritual traditions of the Catholic church are near and dear to my heart. The sense of sacramentality is near and dear. I miss it. Uh, I feel that I am very fine with Jesus. I still pray, still meditate. Uh, but I would identify myself as a non-practicing Catholic. I don't, if I respect the idea of full communion, the way the church is ordered today, I'm not in full communion with it. It would be wrong for me to practice regularly. So you don't go to mass you you don't go to church on on Sundays? Not on a regular basis. And if you do, you don't go up and and receive communion. No, typically not. There have been some times where I felt called and I've presented Okay. My, uh but not always. Did you study theology because you wanted to become uh a priest? A priest? <laughs> uh no. Uh I did want to become a priest. Uh, but about the time I hit puberty, I figured out what celibacy meant and, uh, <laughs> sorry, realized that, that <laughs> something that I am called to by any patient. <laughs> and so, uh, and, you know, I, I feel that in a lot of ways, I mean, I, I did feel called to ministry. And that ended up being through education. Okay. Uh, and that that call there at the same time, even I, I no longer work in Catholic education or in education generally. I uh, minister different in the retail world, uh, but but I did think seriously about becoming a priest, but uh, ultimately that went by the wayside. And I think it's a good thing. I, I try to do what I can to just show people when I meet them in the world, love, respect, empathy. And yeah, you don't, I like the, the quote of St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, I'm sorry, saying Yeah. It was St. Francis preach the gospel to all the world. If necessary, use words. And I try to live by that. By the way, I feel like in, in the multiverse, you're definitely, you're definitely at a university teaching theology. Yeah, I, I, I will secretly say maybe one day that's my retirement plan. Yeah, I mean, you have your master's, right? Do you have to have a PhD to teach? You can uh, you can teach with the master's. Uh, PhD, it's a terminal degree, so you'd be able to do some research and write better and stuff like that. Okay, what have been some of your challenging conversations with your family? It, it all comes down to when they want to say, but she is a girl. You can look at her and see she is a girl. You're harming her. And trying to, and, and a lot of them, they voted for that other guy. And uh, they pay attention to right-wing media that that would make you just think that there's no pain. There's no research. It's just one day Lily said, I'm a boy. And immediately I got, got him on puberty blockers and that's not that reality, but trying to pierce through that and to try to, to match that, to let them know, you know, I'm a parent. I struggle with my own doubts. Uh, Last time we talked, I said, you know, I think the central challenge of being a parent to a transgender person is you know, when it comes to transitioning, what if I do and they're not? Or what if I don't and they are? I, it's it's this pickle where one way or another, you know, it's if I don't let them transition and they are, that's harm. I'm harming my kid. Uh, if I do let them transition and they aren't, 
especially when they get to the medical transitioning, uh, the hormones and such. And some of that stuff can cause physical damage too. And what is the, what is the best possible thing I can do in the situation I'm in? Helping my family know that, yes, I struggle with this and I think about it and I wrestle with it. And also standing strongly so they understand that no matter what, Jackie has my love and support and they get to decide how I talk about them. I'm not taking my child's agency. They're 19 years old. They can decide their name. They can decide their gender. They can decide the clothes they're going to wear. Uh, I will always give my feedback, but that's their decision. I'm not going to take that from them or allow anybody in my family to think that they have a moral obligation to try to take that agency from them because they don't. It is... Uh, the conversations, the hard ones are where I am told that I am harming my children, that I'm not acting out of love, that I'm acting out of selfishness. Those are the hardest to take, especially because those are the ones that typically are the ones reaching out to me the least and trying to understand the world I go through. And so... How, how does a parent like you even get the support you need? I mean, it's hard enough, right? Uh, I was very, I was very lucky to find a, after, after my, I divorced my first wife, I was very lucky to find a very good woman who's able to love and support me. Uh, and she, she can work through with me. She can. She knows how to sit there with me in my doubts, and she can reinforce me. You know, and she doesn't always agree with everything that I choose to do, but she always makes sure that I feel the same love and acceptance that I want my kids to feel for me. Uh, that's been my my rock and my support throughout all of this. There are uh, there are support groups that are out there. I've been able to speak occasionally to other parents of transgender children. I do talk to trans people, get their feedback and advice. Uh, so there's a network uh, and there's a wider network. I'd, my life has been in transition. So it's been hard for me to really find the time to reach out to those people and really take full advantage of it. But I've been lucky the network I have assembled around me has been very supportive and is been there to back me and at least know that no matter what, they're not going to tell me I'm a horrible parent. Well, and then speaking of those kids that don't have a parent like you, I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, after hearing everything that you have gone through and done for Jackie, Jack, Jackie, uh, how does... How can you imagine a kid's life if they don't have that? At times I can see it. Jackie's mother, while overall being supportive, has struggled a lot more with it. And I, I know I do not try to involve myself too much in that dynamic, but I, I, I witness it. I can see where she struggles accepting him, hurts him hurts them. Uh, I've also been happy that she has really made a lot of progress in the last few years. And, and I can see how that is benefit to Jackie uh, for their own psychological well-being. I know I've had the privilege of knowing quite a few people uh, in the LGBTQ community generally, and I've been able to talk with them about their own life, coming out to parents and family, those those who have support the best I can really do is when I encounter somebody that's not being accepted to make sure they get the acceptance and love that they need but I don't want to imagine what that life would be like without supportive parents and I'm lucky to live in a time and place where as challenging as this has been at least I've had the opportunity to truly walk with everything there's no one trying to take these tools away from me that I think in the end saved, saved Jackie's life. 
So I'm the parent of a mixed kid. This this little bean is Chinese and black. I have a certain amount of worry about how she's going to be treated in certain situations. If she was full Chinese, I wouldn't worry as much, to be honest. Okay. Although, on the East Coast, New York, San Francisco right now, there's a lot of Asian hate happening. Yeah. Um, in a way that we haven't experienced before. You know, like elderly Asian people getting attacked in the street in San Francisco. So... She's not in school yet, but as she gets older, as you said before, this world was not made for her. This society that we have was not made for me because I am not white and I'm also not a man. At some point... (laughs) Hey, can you stop singing just for a second, my love? (laughs) At some point... If you are not a white cisgender male, so gay men are also not included, transgender men not included, you might have to worry about how you're going to get treated. Sorry, I should be more specific. Not mentally ill. You can be a you can be a cisgender white man and have mental illness and and worry about how you're going to be treated. And this is just a fact. I'm not trying to be emotional about it. It is just a fact. My husband slash partner, um, you know, gets in L.A., gets pulled over all the time for no reason because of the way he looks. It is a fact. It is not an emotional thing. It is just numbers. It happens to him. It doesn't happen to me. What is my point? (laughs) My point is I have a certain amount of fear that's not so bad that my daughter will experience harassment in the world later on because you know when she's out in the world trying to be an independent person now first question is what is your level of fear and second question is because we already do this in this family like a lot of times when she cries for no reason you know we'll be like uh you're not a white girl with ponytails you you can't you you can't be a, that upset about that and and I I'm sorry if you get offended by that people oh, out there but it's just true like you you have to have a thicker skin like how how do we I have some other friends who have kids that are you know who have come out as gay to their parents and how do we prepare them for a world that is not going to be kind I got to my point eventually I'll probably edit around it because it took me so long. <laughs> No, it it's a good point, and it's a it's a point that I appreciate a lot more than ever. Uh, I've had the I think one thing I've had the the blessing in my life is to talk and get to know uh, people that did not grow up like me and have listened to their stories and and understood what reality is. Uh, you know, the reality is. Jackie is harassed and has been mistreated on multiple occasions due to their identity. It is one of that conversation that I have because, frankly, I, well, you just have to have frank conversations and say, look, you need to understand what situational awareness is. Where are you going? What's around you? How do you keep yourself safe? How do you communicate that you need to get out of a bad situation? You just, you got to be real. Uh, and, you know, Jackie has also taken on, you know, does some own advocacy work. So they're going to put a bigger, uh, they're going to put a bigger bullseye on them. But you do that. The other half, and this is what makes me optimistic, you know, People my age, our age and older, especially those that tend to look like me, uh, boy, we're getting a lot of things wrong. And I know that they just they a lot a lot of a lot of people, including people I went to school with, just want to live in their ignorance and they don't want to open up to anything. But the kids are starting to get it right. They have an openness. 
and a lack of prejudice that I don't have. And, and they, they're figuring it out in spite the adults' best efforts to screw it all up. And so I try to, I always try to look to hope, plan for the worst to hope for the best. And I, I do see, you know, for Jackie, for your bean, there is a better world that through all of this chaos is actually being built and made. And, and that I try to look forward to and try to point when Jackie wants to get negative point to all of the good that's also happening. Yeah. It seems like, uh, they are at the forefront or at the front line, I should say of potential wave of change that might take, you know, it is more acceptable now in America to be gay. Yeah. Right. And those people, how long have they been fighting for that? Decades. Yeah. Decades. And then, you know, there's there's also, you know, there was a Japanese internment during World War II. Yep. I feel a lot more safe on the street, and I'm not Japanese, but I, I, I obviously am Asian. I feel a lot more safe on the streets than maybe people did back then. But then there's waves, and it comes back. You know the 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 Asian hate that had recently popped up. It is uh, it is like a a wave, and then it'll subside, and then maybe it'll come back, and and we are becoming a more diverse nation. And I know for a very small population of Americans, although it can feel like a bigger population, they might feel threatened by that. But I think for the most part, people are just trying to catch up. And people who look like you might feel uncomfortable around these like pronouns and things changing because they just don't want to get it wrong. I, uh, you know, do you have any, do you have any family members who are just so like anxious about talking to you or about it because they they feel like they're going to get it wrong and they're going to screw up? I'm sure there are, uh, I mean, generational gaps in my family and there, there's some that it's just the way they approach the conversations or just when I'm around or wanting to ask a question about Jackie, you know, they will, they adapt, they change. Uh, you can see, I guess to your answer is, yeah, there's a lot of people that just don't know how to talk about it and they're nervous about it. It scares them. Uh, and they, they try to work their way through it. I mean, most people really, most people I don't think intend any harm it's just the degree to which they're going to be open to listening, maybe thinking, uh, may try to understand that their preconceived notions might need edited, if that makes sense. I mean, I, I sometimes am scared to screw up. Like, <laughs> I, I teach, well, because I'm a cisgender woman, and it doesn't occur to me sometimes. It just doesn't occur to me. So in a, in a classroom full, because I teach Ariel, a classroom full of, of, uh, people who look like women, mm-hmm. I'll say ladies, blah, 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 blah. And so this one day, uh, a woman who's, uh, a person who has become a friend of mine, she comes up to me at the end and says, I know we didn't talk about pronouns, but I'm a they, them. I was like, thank you for telling me. And please, please do not hold back in correcting me because I'm going to screw up. So I screw up all the time. Like I'll, I'll say ladies and she'll be like, uh, <clears throat> I'll be like people, friends. <laughs> yes, Bean, hold on. You know what I'm saying? So, so people out there, um, even I, I'm, Hey, 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 I'm almost finished. She always knows when it's like 57 minutes or something. She's like, Hello. Hello. Podcast is over, right? <laughs> um, you know, people out there who are, you know, scared to mess up, even me who would be considered like Mommy. pretty outspoken, Mommy. you know, I have my own podcast. I'm obviously a Democrat. Mommy. Like no one could tell, you know, I never say that, but it's obvious. <laughs> Proudly as well. But, you know, I respect other people when they tell me that they have a completely different viewpoint on or they have a different identity and I try to meet them where they're at and I screw up all the time. Yep. I screw up all the time. I get nervous when I, I, I encounter somebody who is trans that I don't know, but I'm not sure how to come up. 
so bad. I get nervous about coming up and asking about the pronouns and things like that. And also, I, I think that for transgender people, what they don't expect you to be perfect. They just expect you to try. And that's what they respect. And come out at it with kindness. Yes. Always. Come. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think, I, I think the the key to all the negativity that's happening is that mommy, underneath it mommy, mommy, is, is not kindness, is not empathy. Mommy, and that's you being, please give me two minutes. Okay. No. <laughs> Uh, that's behind all all of the uh the stuff i experienced too yeah it's it's not that it's not even not kind it's i know you're different i'm scared of it i'm not going to acknowledge it you're different from me um okay so i can mute when after i ask this question wow wow Give us advice. Give us advice for the for the parent who's trying to help their kid go through this. Hey. To that parent that was where I was in 2017, first things first, you love your kid. That's the basis. That same child that you held in your arms uh, when they were born is still that kid right there. They're just growing up. Kids are always going to make decisions that we didn't make for them, and we have to learn to accept it. And just walk with your kid. Ask questions. You have every right to ask them, what makes you feel this way? How long have you felt this way? Ask those why questions. You're allowed to, but always do it from the point of, I am always here. I need to understand and that I love you. And the last thing I ever want to do is harm you. I think that's the, if you were to talk to Jackie, I think that I hope that's what they would say I did because they would be glad to line up a whole host of things that I did wrong. But what they'll never say I did wrong was I, I always loved. I always tried. I always listened and they never once, I think this is what got them through to this point. I never once gave up on them or let them feel that they were going to be alone. And becoming a transparent comic book on that. Uh, when you realize that you're a parent and a transgender child, you're just raising a kid. That's all it is. And it's going to be at a different adventure than you ever thought you were going to go on. Just go on it. Uh, Matt, it has been such an honor to be the vehicle for this story of yours and to connect with you again. I was on the phone with my sister yesterday. I forgot to tell her because she's oh. going, she's going to be so excited to hear this podcast. Awesome. Because uh, uh, Matt knows Kathleen too, my sister. Um, but I thank you for your openness and your vulnerability and sharing your story. Um, and I really hope that it helps people out there, whether you're just trying to understand or you're going through it yourself and you just need um, support yourself. Yes. Thank you. Thank you as for giving me this chance to speak. Uh, we said earlier, no one really talks to me about it uh, on a regular basis. And a huge deal. But if I can help somebody out there to some level, try to understand what's going on. I hope I did that. Matt, thank you so much for honoring us with your time and this very personal and vulnerable story. Um, and telling it in a way that we can understand. And then also, you know, the very, very technical nuts and bolts of it and how you've been learning and navigating it. I hope it will help and benefit those out there who might be going through the same thing or just trying to understand more about a lifestyle that isn't yours. If you check the show notes, you can opt into our newsletter to hear more about us. And then if you just love hearing the sound of my voice, the Expecting Aerialist, which is all about motherhood, prenatal postpartum experiences. Uh, if you're interested in that, go on over there. The link is there for you. And thank you to Asa Watkins, sound engineer. 
honor us with a five-star rating and a review anywhere you get your podcasts. Just smash that five stars. It's so fast. Leave a sentence. It means so much to us. And we appreciate you guys. Also check out Digitent Podcasts, health and wellness-based podcasts. You might find something up your alley there. And uh, yeah, have a great week. We'll see you guys next time over and out. This is a Greener Grass Podcast with the Digitent family of podcasts.